The following resource is from DesiringGod.org. If you have your Bibles with you tonight, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 1 through 5. Matthew 6. I said 5 the first time. One chapter later. Matthew 6, 1 through 5. Page 811 in the Pew Bible in front of you. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other men in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, that your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Father, I ask for Bethlehem in this week, at the beginning of 2009, and in this year, and indeed in this decade, I ask for a spirit of supplication, a spirit of grace, a spirit of deep, humble, childlike dependence on you that is not ashamed to stand in line for bread. Indeed, considered it a high privilege to look away from ourselves in prayer to you again and again and again, both in corporate and in private. And for those, Lord, who find little pleasure in prayer and feel it as a great birdie, burden and duty for which they often feel guilty, I pray for a gift, a surprise gift a gift of freedom and joy in fellowship with you. This is your work. It's not mine. I can't make this happen. But it's the deep thing. So come and awaken our heart's desire for communion with you in prayer. Through Christ I pray. Amen. So this is the first Sunday now of our year beginning week of prayer, we call it. And what I want to do is tackle a, an issue that is raised by the very fact that we have such a thing as a week of prayer. And the question is much bigger than that, but it, it is at least that. 
The question is the relationship between discipline in prayer and freedom in prayer and spontaneity in prayer. Discipline, freedom, spontaneity. How do those relate to each other? So let me define my terms first. What, what do I mean when I say discipline in prayer? I mean the things that you do uh, by plan. So, for example, a week of prayer. That's a discipline. We plan it. We do a whole book about it here. So this is a discipline. This took some intentionality and some effort to do that. Or, I mean prayer at mealtimes. Those usually aren't spontaneous. We have chosen to do that. We plan it, we do it. Or prayer at an elder meeting before we start, a season of prayer. Or uh, getting down on our knees and praying after the vows of our wedding, on the wedding bench, the prayer bench, right about there. That was intentional. You didn't just decide to do that on the spur of the moment. Or at the beginning of a sermon. I don't think much about that. That's a plan. I need help. Therefore, I do that. Or uh, getting up early in the morning so that a dad can pray for his family before he meets them at breakfast and has some spiritual sense about him as to how to lead them in devotions. Or praying with your spouse before you get in bed at night. Kneel down by the bed. That's not spontaneous. That's planned. Or praying over the lunch hour in your little cubicle at work. Or coming to church on Tuesday morning and Friday morning to be in a prayer meeting. Or being like Daniel and setting aside three times a day. Daniel 6.10. Or setting aside seven times a day, like psalmist in Psalm 119.64. Or getting up in the watches of the night, like the psalmist in Psalm 119.148. Or during and after you read your Bible in the morning, and on and on and on and on. You see what I mean? Anything you plan to do that doesn't just pop into your head at the moment, I'm just calling that discipline. Intentionality. A plan to pray a certain way. You think about it. You decide that it's a good thing. And then you intentionally do it. Some people are very intentional people. We call them disciplined people. And other people are somewhat intentional. And they're partially disciplined people. And then there are other kinds of people that don't plan much at all. They just do what comes next. And, and they're less disciplined people. And, and then there are hundreds of gradations in between. And we are all different, and there's no point uh, getting bent out of shape about that. It's just that's the way it's going to be till Jesus comes. It, 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 that's just the way it's going to be. Everybody's a little bit disciplined, and some people are a lot disciplined. Everybody does something by plan, and others do almost everything by plan. So that's what I mean by discipline. Give you a flavor. Now, here's what I mean by uh, spontaneity or freedom. Uh, Alongside, alongside, get this now, discipline, you might 
put freedom. I don't. I don't put freedom alongside discipline because if I set it up that way, I say, okay, there's, there's the disciplined way to pray, and then alongside it, there's the free way to pray. I'm not going to do that because that implies that inside discipline, you don't have freedom. Freedom is that thing you have when you're not doing disciplined things. That's the other thing, and that's just not true. That's not true. In discipline, there can be amazing freedom. In the act you choose, plan to do, there can be amazing, joyful, want-to type freedom. So you plan to pray at your wedding. Plan to kneel down. You even think about how to help her with her dress. Whether you're going to hold hands or not. You think about it. Plan it. When that moment comes, there can come upon that sacred moment the most joyful, happy, free, awesome prayer moment that you've ever known. Nobody would say, I'm in bondage right now. In bondage to this plan. Let's get rid of plans. Just decide at the moment whether that would be cool. No. You know, you know from life experience that inside discipline, there can be amazing freedom, doing what you want to do, being delighted to be there, though you got there by plan. And that's true of all the disciplines that I mentioned, whether it's mealtime or praying in the morning, praying at night, praying at prayer meetings. Praying in your cubicle, it, it can have freedom in it. But it is also true, as you know, that because something is planned and has a lot of intentionality about it, it can be enslaving. It can feel very routine, undesirable. I'm just doing this. And I've planned to do it. I've committed to do it. I should do it. I'm just doing it. And that doesn't feel free at all. You might plan that wedding prayer. I'm going to hold your hand. I'll help you with your dress. And as you kneel down, you're so lightheaded and nauseated. You just want this moment over quick. Because I just want to get out of here. I'm feeling terrible right now. I've been there. Okay seen this and I try to help it get over quick when I see it so I'm not pretending that all disciplined moments are free happy joyful they're not same thing with meals right prayed at meals so many times it's just nothing maybe doesn't have to be nothing Some days it's something, some days it's nothing. Some days it feels vital and alive and I'm feeling deeply how thankful I should be for this food. And other times, this is just, why are we doing this? So I don't put freedom alongside discipline. It can be in discipline or it can vanish. What about spontaneity? I do put spontaneity alongside discipline. 
by definition, I'm going to put it there. What is spontaneous, by definition, I'm saying is not planned. That's the meaning of spontaneous. It's not intentionally thought out and done. And here's some examples of what that would mean. Some situation awakens the need to pray or the Holy Spirit just prompts the need to pray. Whisper a thank you to God after a real close call on the highway. Ever done that? Or ask God to help you in the middle of an exam that you didn't plan to do. You just need help. Or confess to God some sin very soon after you say a, a hurtful word to your spouse or child or dad or friend. Or when we do these open things in church, you know, and just take about three minutes here and whoever wants to pray and, and you do it. You come to church planning to do it. You just feel like this is my time to stand up and pray something to the Lord out loud in a, in a service or praising God for a beautiful sunset that you turn a corner and there it is. And there it is. Thank you, Lord, for this beauty or silently ask him for wisdom in the middle of a very, very difficult phone conversation that you didn't know was take this awful turn that it just took. And you don't know what to say next. And you whisper, God, please, some wise, helpful, healing, reconciling word here or ask him for wisdom at some elder meeting in the middle of the elder meeting and not at the beginning of the elder meeting. The elders at Bethlehem do this a lot. We always start. That's predictable. But where it's going to recur in the council, who knows? Just we need it. Let's stop. Let's go to God here, guys. We're not making any headway on what we need to do or for strength. When you're about to drop dead from weariness and there's just one more thing that has to be done. Oh, God, please give me strength here or for a missionary because you just called up the email and they're crying out for help. And right then, right there for that missionary, you're going to God or 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 right. You get the idea. These things are not planned. They're just there. Situations, promptings of the Holy Spirit, and, and we're going vertical. And that's what I call spontaneous prayer. And my question is how all that relates to each other. Well, you've got discipline, you've got freedom, you've got spontaneity in prayer. So what does the Bible have to say about all of that? That's where I'm going. Let me tell you why I think I was drawn to this. Um, the part of the evangelical church that I watch most closely seems to me, could be wrong about this, uh, the pendulum of discipline and spontaneity that goes from generation to generation seems to me to be swinging toward Resistance to discipline and disinclination to think in terms of discipline in, in most areas of life. And the reason is because of the rising, the wonderful rising of the sense that we should be gospel driven, not discipline driven. So that would be one way to say it. We want to be gospel driven, not Discipline driven. There was a blog I saw that probably pre pricked me. Let's be 
gospel-driven, not resolution-driven in the new years. And I thought, hmm, 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 hmm. I think I know what they mean. I think that's probably a good thing. But as I sniff around, I have this little lurking concern that we may not be getting it right. And uh, it's not easy to get it right. So that's what we're going to try to talk about. Let the Bible help us find where that pendulum should be in the relationship between discipline, planning, intentionality in prayer, and, and free and spontaneous and how does that all work? Um, I think there are a lot of people who would play off gospel-driven versus discipline-driven. They would uh, say that legalism is versus freedom and law is versus grace. And they put it all in that category. Um, I, and overall, I think that's good. It's good to set things up that way. If we don't live on the gospel, that is on the work of Christ for us, all of our praying will be bondage. All of our praying will be a stench in God's nose if it is flowing from anything other than gospel faith. However, um, there are half biblical ideas um, that make us get real excited for spontaneity and real excited for freedom in the gospel and lose touch with the role of discipline and intentionality and plan and willing, willing something, willing when our whole heart may not yet be there in it. Our experience with God may be so shallow that the only way we have of conceiving discipline is in terms of legalism. There are people like that. If you say, I'm going to do this, they think, you're a legalist. That's just, it's equal. It, strong intentionality against disinclination equal legalism. That's very shallow. Very shallow. Um, it's as though uh, intentionality that drives you to do a thing, uh, even when you don't feel like doing it, can only be a work of the law, can only be an act of merit, can only be a way of earning salvation, can only be a strategy to get God on your side. Really? Is that true? Maybe not. Uh, indeed, uh, any act of discipline, no matter how good, may be legalism. Any, anything that you plan to do and make a decision to do and are intentional about doing may be a work of the law designed to get God on your side. Not the overflow of confidence that he's on your side. Oh, how subtle. Only here's the trick. Here's the, here's the, the glitch. Steadfast 
resistance to discipline in the name of spontaneity can be a work of the law. And my vaunted commitment to be spontaneous is all about self-righteousness. Life is very, we, we are very vulnerable here. The dangers of self-righteousness lurk everywhere. The dangers of, of self-reliance Relying on my disciplined willpower, I'm one of those types, or relying on my, I don't like that stuff. I don't do what they do. I'm more free-spirited, like the gospel says you should be, really. So, whether you're coming at it from this one side or the other, we're all imperiled here. There are younger brother forms of self-righteousness and older brother forms of self-righteousness, whether they look like it or not. The heart of the gospel is that Christ died for our sins. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. That's shorthand. It's shorthand for saying that the only way to be right with God is on the basis of what Christ is and has done not on the basis of what you are or do. Christ died for my sins is shorthand for the only way to have God 100% on my side is to receive, rest in, as a gift, who Christ is and what he did for me not who I am and what I did for him. That's the heart of the gospel. And it's resting there where discipline can come from and resistance to legalistic discipline can come from. And whether it comes from there makes all the difference as to whether we're operating in the freedom of the gospel Now, here's, here's a biblical basis for that statement about the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him to be sin. God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin. That in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God takes our sin and imputes it to Christ. And God takes Christ's righteousness and imputes it to us. This is 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of the most glorious verses in the Bible for getting at the heart of the gospel. This grand exchange. My sins go on him. His righteousness goes on me. And because of that and that alone, Am I 100% acceptable? He is 100%, not 99.9% on my side. He is 100% on my side on one basis alone. 
who Christ is and what he did for me. I get in on that by childlike, yes, yes, I will have that. Receiving him, my Lord, my Savior, my treasure, I take him. If that's the deal, yes. But if we say, I think I want to provide a little bit of righteousness on my own. I'm going to pray. Or I'm going to resist all that legalistic prayer stuff. And that'll count. That'll be the 1%. The 0.1%. And he'll finish being on my side now. I get him, get him totally on my side by doing some stuff. Good stuff. And that's called self-righteousness. It's all of Christ. The basis is all of Christ. Praying is overflow. From that confidence or resisting legalistic praying is overflow from that confidence. The opposite of legalism is not spontaneity. The opposite of faith is not discipline. Spontaneity may be legalistic. And discipline may be an act of faith. So, with that introduction, (laughs) the title of this message is uh, Prayer in the Closet and, and Prayer in the Spirit. You can feel where I'm coming from now. To get in the closet, you've got to decide to go there. You don't just wind up there. Like, oh, I'm in the closet. You go to the closet, shut the door. That's discipline. In the spirit, what's that? So let's start with in the spirit and then go to the closet and just, I want to know, I want Bible help here. I want Bible help. Talk to me, Bible, about this issue of discipline and spontaneity and freedom. So two passages about praying in the spirit. Ephesians 6.18 and Jude 1.20. I'll read them to you. Ephesians 6.18 goes like this. Pray at all times in the Spirit. With all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So, I want to know, pray at all times in the Spirit. What's that? Or here it is in Jude. Jude 1.20. But you, beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. So, Question one, what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? There is, I think, a very helpful clue in 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. Paul says this, No one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? You got the same phrase. You're, you're talking in the Spirit, and you can't say when you do that, Jesus be accursed. Why not? Well, because evidently, praying in the Spirit means the Spirit's controlling you. It's governing you. It's energizing you. It's animating you. It won't let you do that. If you say that, 
You're not in the Spirit. You're not speaking by the Spirit. The Spirit's not controlling you at that moment. He's letting you say something terrible. And, positive side, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. That is, you can't mean it. You can't earnestly, authentically say from the heart, Jesus is my Lord, unless the Holy Spirit is doing that in you. So, I take from that verse to speak, pray, in the Spirit means uh, under the control of the Spirit, animated, energized, guided by the Holy Spirit. So always pray that way, Paul says. That's the way you pray when you are praying out of the gospel. Here's the connection I'm going to make now. When you're praying that way, that is the Holy Spirit is... is uh, Energizing, animating, guiding, informing, releasing, freeing for prayer. You're praying out of reliance on Christ in the gospel when that's happening. We are trusting God to love us, accept us, help us by his spirit for Christ's sake alone. You're coming to pray. And you think, okay, he died for me. He provided me with the righteousness. He took my sin. He gave me his righteousness. I'm totally acceptable to God in this moment, though I've sinned many times this morning. And I'm going to trust his love for me, his acceptance of me, his approval of me in Christ. And in that trust, the spirit of God flows. That's where he works. He, he's moving along the channels of faith in the gospel. The Holy Spirit glorifies Christ in the gospel. Therefore, when your heart is leaning on the gospel, praising Christ as taking your sin and providing your righteousness, the Spirit is there. So when you ask... How do I pray in the Spirit? The answer is, I pray in reliance upon God's love for me, proved and purchased in the death of Jesus on my behalf. Listen to this key verse, Galatians 3, 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And the answer is clear. It's by hearing with faith, not works of the law. So let's make it a statement instead of a question. Um, God supplies the Spirit to us and works miracles in us and through us not when we try to win that kind of power by works of the law that show ourselves meritorious and deserving, but when we hear gospel promises and believe them. Faith. The gospel is, for Christ's sake alone, God is for you. For Christ's sake alone, God purchased everything for you. For Christ's sake alone, he is 100% on your side. You believe that because of Christ, not because of yourself or your mourning. 
Good morning? No. Bad morning? No. That's not the basis. Christ is the basis. I'm believing it. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit is flowing in and through that faith. And you pray in Him, in that faith. This is how the gospel relates to our praying in the Spirit. We don't deserve His help, do we? We don't deserve the Holy Spirit to help us. And Paul says He helps us in our weakness when we pray. We don't deserve to have His help. Well, then how do we get it? We get it because of the gospel. We don't deserve anything. The only reason we get anything good from God is because Christ bought it for us. And we get it freely because of his purchase. So, not by works, but by faith. We look to God not as our enemy. Not as one who's a frustrated father. Who can never be pleased. This is is a lot of you, a lot of you, us. Yeah, he's on my side, but he's always upset with me because I'm such a loser. There's only one hope at that moment. God, because of Christ alone, is 100% for me. Period. There's the war. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? 100% for me. My Father disapproves of many things I do. My Heavenly Father. But when I think about Him, I think all of that must be loving, fatherly, corrective disapproval, not contempt for me. You had fathers who felt contempt for you. You so frustrated them, they would roll their eyes, they would say spitting angry things at you, and you felt he, he just holds me in contempt, my dad does. God never holds his children in contempt. He disapproves. I see it a lousy thing to Noel. He doesn't like it. But he's on my side. 100% on my side. If he has to spank me, he'll spank me. And at that moment, the challenge for me will be to believe the gospel. Is this a spanking or is this foretaste of hell? Is my father totally on my side here? Totally for me. Or is he just fed up with me and would like to be done with me as soon as he can? Which is the way some of us have felt when our fathers disciplined us, right? Oh, this is so close to the core of what some of you are dealing with in 2010. So we pray in the Spirit by believing that because of Christ alone, not my past performances, not my present whatever, but because of Christ alone, he's on my side. 
I believe he's for me. I believe he affirms me. I believe he loves me. I believe he's there for me. I believe he's working for my good. I trust him right now and I will ask him. Now, that's what I think the Bible means about praying in the Spirit. It's a gospel way to pray. It's the way you pray when you're resting in Christ because of the gospel. Now let's go to the last thing. What about the closet? That is, what about discipline? So here we are at Matthew 6, finally, the text. And just two verses, Matthew 6, 5, and 6. I say closet because that was the old King James Version. And the word is, uh, it means inner room. The one that doesn't have any windows where people can look in and see. Just kind of say totally. Shh. Go in there and shut the door. You know, trying to impress the kids. Daddy prays in the morning. You can hear him. Listen to him. Whoa. I got a great daddy. Kind of that. When you pray, this is verse 5, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So if you, if you, if you love the good feelings that come from being thought a spiritual person, you get it. And that's all you get. Truly, they have received their reward. Verse 6, but when you pray... Go into your room, into your closet, into your inner room, and, and, and shut the door. And pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So verse 6 is real plain. Do something that requires a little discipline here. Because you have to decide to do this. You have to be intentional about it. Go to a certain room. Shut the door. Avoid being seen and heard. If you can. Be intentional. Now that simple command, I think, stands for all those others that I mentioned. Praying at mealtimes and praying before bed and praying at prayer meetings, just anything that requires some intentionality, there's a way to do it and a way not to do it. And this is talking about private prayer. And I think it would be right of me to say that Jesus would like you to do that this year. How often? I don't know. One time a day, three times a day, seven times a day, once a week, three times a week. We don't have any rules like that. It's a good thing to do. And uh, I think you should build it into your life. Find your closet. Build your closet. Going to build a house this year? You know, forget the den. Build a prayer room. Forget the surround sound, 52-inch. Build a prayer room. Just a thought. Here's the last thing I want to say about closet prayer, intentional prayer, disciplined prayer. It can 
flow from the gospel. And I'm going to give you three ways. And, and this is so important. I, I'm, I'm trying to learn to live this way with you at, at age almost 64. I don't think you'll ever get this pat. The devil won't let you get it pat. Your old nature won't let you. You will be rediscovering how to be disciplined out of the gospel, not disciplined as the gospel till the day you're dead. The devil will always be trying to get you to turn discipline into the gospel. Because I do this, God is for me. Instead of because he's for me, I make this effort. We'll we'll always be trying to switch it around. So I want to say three ways that it can flow a, a choice, a plan, like coming Friday night or coming on Tuesday or not coming and playing at home or whatever you plan. The plan can be good. It can be a gospel plan. It can be a free plan. It can be a God-pleasing, gospel-honoring, faith-driven plan. It is possible that discipline flow from the gospel rather than saying the gospel nixes all discipline and turns us into free spirits who never do anything by discipline. And so here are those three, three ways. Number one, gospel-based faith trusts Christ implicitly because of what he's done and who he is so that if he tells us to do something, we believe him and we do it. Now, that's the simplest connection. It's not the most profound or the most important. What I'm saying is when you look at the gospel and he says, I love you. I died for you. I rose again for you. I made you acceptable to the Father. For my sake alone, am I trustworthy? <laughs> Everything in the believer says, yes, better than anyone. And he says, well, sometime this year, go to your closet and pray. And don't let anybody see you. Because, you know, then you'll do it for the praise of men. Just go and get more of God. We're going to say, Okay. Now, at that moment, you could turn it into legalism. Yes, you could. Like, oh, I need to obey him because if I don't obey him, God's not going to be on my side. Instead of saying, because God is totally on my side, he's totally trustworthy. Why wouldn't I do what he says? Okay, so that's real simple. And it's number one, that because Christ has shown that he's done enough to get God totally on our side. He is trustworthy. And he's the one who says, when you pray, go into your inner room and shut the door. And he said, okay, you say so, I'm doing it because you're so good. And God loves me so much. And why wouldn't I trust you when you tell me to do that? Number two, gospel-based faith has tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And therefore, gospel-based faith is always eager to receive as much of Christ as we can. Gospel faith has looked at the cross. Look at this. Look at this. The Son of the living God, never having sinned, 
goes there with my sin crushing him in torture so that I may be totally acceptable to God by faith alone. Look at this. And what we see, what believers see when they look at the cross is that's everything to me. That person right there doing that is my life. He is more precious to me than anything. I want all of him I can have. That's the way faith talks once it's tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And where we see the Lord good most is on the cross. We see God's love clearest on the cross. We see Christ's sufficiency and covenant-keeping love for us on the cross. It's all most clear at the cross. And faith says... I will have you. I will have you. You are giving yourself. I will have you. And it keeps on saying more, more, more. And forever. So when Jesus says here that we are to go into our closets, not for the sake of the reward of human praise, but for God, we say, Of course. (laughs) That's what I want more than anything. I want more God. I want more Christ. I I want to be done with loving the praise of man. Oh, yes, I do. I know how alluring it is, and I want to be done with it. And so I'm going in there for more of you. And that's a gospel way to go. What we, you know, what you see when you look at the cross is that Christ didn't just become the basis of all we need, the basis of the receiving of all we need. He became all we need. Christ is all. This is why we can die. Christ is all. And he satisfies. So the second way that the gospel leads us into a disciplined prayer life is that we saw in the gospel that he didn't just provide the basis for everything that we need. He became everything we need. He satisfied our souls and he tells us that in a life of communion and prayer in private where nobody else can see, he will come and reward us. And what he rewards us with mainly is himself. And that's what we want. And if you don't, if you're sitting there saying, I don't. I'm not writing you off. And I don't think God is writing you off. I think he's inviting you at this moment to ask God to turn that around this year. Maybe this week. I know some people hear those statements that I make. Christ is all. Christ satisfies the heart. Why wouldn't you want to go spend time with him when he promises to give you more of himself? And you sit there saying, I don't know why, I just don't. I'm not, I'm not feeling ugly towards you. I'm not feeling contemptuous towards you. I want to model at this moment for you how I think God is, is feeling toward you. I think he's in this sermon and in this week saying, I have something for you. I'm pretty patient. I really am. You've been doing this for a long time and you're not in hell. I'm on your side. I I want you to love me, know me, enjoy me. I want you to delight in prayer and not feel like, oh, 
<laughs> he told us we had to pray again. I hate to pray. I don't like to read my Bible. I don't like to pray. And I, I don't think God is rolling his eyes here at you in a contemptuous, bothered way. I think his heart is aching. I think he is with a hand outstretched saying through my mouth right here in this room, I have a gift for you. I have a gift for you. Come on. Come on in. Lastly, number three. Um, the third way that a, a, an intentional prayer life can flow from the gospel and not be legalism is that because of the gospel, that is because Christ died for us, we know that everything we need has been purchased for us already. Therefore, when we go, we don't go to purchase. We don't go to pay anything. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him freely give us all things? That's Romans eight thirty two. I think one of the greatest verses in the Bible. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How then, having done that, will he not freely give us all things, all things that we need? Which means that because of Christ, you see the logic? Because of Christ, because of the gospel, because Christ died for my sins and provided my righteousness, God is totally ready to give everything I need. He won't give you a stone. He won't give you a snake. He may not give you the very thing you ask in the very time you ask, but he won't give you a snake. He's always on your side. He withholds and gives according to his great love for us. All the promises of God find their yes in him, 2 Corinthians 1.20. In other words, every answer to prayer that would be good for us, Christ has purchased by his blood. So when we go to our closet, we don't go to purchase. We, go, we don't go to negotiate. We go because everything has been obtained. It's been bought. It, uh, closing illustration. If, if you're starving, hungry, starving, and you know that the food that you need for life is in a well-locked container... And Christ gives his life to open the container. He gives his life. He dies opening the container where, where the food is that will give you life. You would not consider it, I don't think, an offense to him if you walked five miles to stand in line with tears on your face of gratitude and expectancy to get the food. Would that walk have to be legalism? No, it wouldn't. You walk five miles all the way singing his praises. He opened the bin, he opened the container with his life. I'm going to get in line. I'm going to stand in line all day if I have to. Ask 
and you will receive, seek, and you will find. God ordains that the goods purchased by his son, that is, everything that's good for you, the goods purchased by his son come to us through prayer. Don't try to write it another way. Like, I'm just going to stay here until it falls in my mouth. When, when he says, go into your closet and shut the door. People are watching you with your mouth open. Shut, shut your mouth. Go to your closet. Just a little something to do. But the doing doesn't have to earn you anything. Nobody who stands in a bread line for free food thinks, I'm buying it. They don't, and they're not. So, ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So, for your own soul, for your family, for your church, for your vocation, for the nations, plan in 2010 that you will pray. That you'll be intentional about this because Christ died for you. And through prayer, God will give you what he bought for you freely. Especially himself. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask again, as I did at the beginning, that you would pour out a spirit of supplication, prayer, grace upon our church. There are deep things, deep spiritual things that need to happen in our hearts to turn prayer into a delight and not a burden. Deep things. And and there are people who are going to feel guilty when I'm done here because they don't yet feel that delight and they're supposed to. And I pray that instead of wallowing in that guilt and letting it conquer them and giving the devil a victory, that they will stand in the face of that bad feeling and say, I don't care about you bad feeling. My God sent his son and died for me. I'm trusting that he is totally on my side because of that. And in due time, my heart will awake. So I'm going to my closet. Because he loves me so much. So whether it's that way or another roundabout way, take us, Lord, and give us, I pray, deep gospel faith as we are intentional about prayer in this year. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from DesiringGod.org. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy and share from thousands of resources on our site, including books, sermons, articles, and more, available free of charge. DesiringGod.org exists to help you treasure Jesus more than anything else, because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him.